May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be always pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Be seated. You know, there are some questions that if you, if you get the answer right, will change your life, will change the direction of your life. There are some questions, depending on how you answer it, will change the course of your life. For example, will you marry me? <laughs> the answer to that question will change the direction of your life. I remember when I asked Josie that question, and uh, I was so nervous, my hands were shaking, and I actually dropped the ring. So I had to say, hold that thought. I'll get back to it. You know, or think about in terms of a career uh, or in school, depending on how many right answers you get on that test, on that ACT or that SAT or that LSAT or that entrance exam to grad school or med school, that, that makes a huge difference in your life. Maybe you remember the name Ken Jennings, who, was, uh, who is the all-time Jeopardy champion. He won 74 times in a row, and he became a multimillionaire as a result of getting enough of the right answers. It changed his life. Well, I, I bring that up because in our gospel reading today, Jesus asked the most important question that we can ever be asked, and it, it'll determine what happens in our life now and what happens for eternity. When he asked this question, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? I think that is the most important question that we could ever be asked. Jesus is asking this of his disciples, but he's asking that of each and every one of us today. And he wants us to take that question out of these doors into the world and press that upon other people. Who do you say is Jesus Christ? Before he asked that question, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And that was Jesus' favorite title to use to refer to himself, the Son of Man. And it's a title, it's a messianic title that goes back to an Old Testament book, the book of Daniel, chapter 7. And it's also found in other Jewish texts. But in the context of Daniel, chapter 7, the Son of Man is a divine human figure that God sends into the world in, a, in the context of suffering, the suffering of God's people. But God will vindicate this Son of Man. God will glorify this Son of Man. And Daniel 7 says God will appoint the Son of Man to be the judge of all people, to be the judge of all nations. So when Jesus uses this title to refer to himself, and he does it over and over again, the Son of Man, he, he, he's saying this is how he sees his role in the unfolding plan of God, the unfolding plan of salvation. He's the Son of Man. He's going to suffer. But God's going to vindicate him. And God did that at the resurrection. And God is going to glorify him. And God has done that. Jesus ascended into heaven, into the glory of God's presence. And Jesus believed that he was going to be the judge, as we say in the creed, of the living and the dead. That God had appointed him to be the judge of the living and the dead. So that's kind of what's behind this Son of Man title. And, and, and Jesus is saying, and saying, 
who do people say that the Son of Man is? Jesus is asking the disciples to give the climate of opinion about his ministry. And they use, they have different answers, he says, they say. Uh, the, the, the people say, some people say it's that you're John, John the Baptist or Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the prophets. People believed at this time that at the end times, God would raise up one of these prophets. And they speculated that this might be happening in the ministry of Jesus, that somehow these, these former ministries are being resurrected in the ministry of Jesus because they see Jesus doing these incredible things. His miracles and his authoritative teaching. So they understand God is at work. Maybe God has resurrected these prophetic ministries in the, in the life of Jesus, the Son of Man. But they were speculating about who Jesus is. And they had different views. And still today in our culture, there are different views about who Jesus is. The figure of Jesus looms large in our Western culture still today. And so people... Thinking people have to wrestle with this figure. Who is Jesus Christ? And there are various answers that our culture gives. I mean, there's the, probably one of the most common answers is that Jesus is a good teacher. And you can kind of place him alongside other moral and religious teachers. And, um, of course, Jesus was a teacher. But the problem with that idea that Jesus is nothing more than a teacher is that uh, Jesus himself taught that he was more than a teacher. He, he said that he came not just to tell people the truth, but he said, I am the truth, John fourteen six. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No mm-hmm. one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus wasn't just a teacher pointing to the truth outside of himself. Jesus was saying, if you want to know the truth, I am the truth, the embodiment of the truth of God. So if you say Jesus was a good teacher, then you, you have to take it all. Otherwise, you're starting to slice up what you believe about his teaching and you reject some things and uh, retain others. So that's a difficult one to to kind of take on board, that Jesus is just a good teacher, nothing more than a good teacher. There's also kind of more recent is the mystical Jesus. This is the kind of the new agey Jesus. Jesus as the as the guru that sort of resides within all of us, there is a a book out called The Third Christ, and this author is very popular, and his books get on the bestseller list. And he's written a book called The Third Christ, and he said, what matters is not the Jesus of history or the Jesus of the church, but this third Christ who is a mystical Christ, and he resides in all of us, and we just need to all get in touch with the Christ within, and we'll be liberated. And uh, by the way, the same author has written such weighty theological works as uh, ageless body and timeless mind, perfect weight, and then my personal favorite, perfect digestion. <laughs> so the guy who wrote the book, Perfect Digestion, thousands, maybe tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people are buying his book to see what he says about Jesus. Um, that's where we're at, trying to make sense of Jesus through a new age lens. There's all these ideas, these speculations about who is Jesus? What is his significance? But Jesus is asking us, who do you say that I am? Okay, he's got the climate of opinion. We have the climate of opinion today, but who do you say that I am? So we have the question, and now we're going to have this great confession. And this is a high point. This is a watershed moment in the gospel story where Peter 
confesses, you are the Christ, Messiah, the son of the living God. You are the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. And if that is true, that Jesus is the Messiah, the one that God has sent, God's anointed king to save the world, if Jesus is the Messiah, and that he is the son of the living God, that is, he is divine and he is one with God the Father, if that is true, then all of our boxes that we want to put Jesus in have to kind of be exploded. We can't fit him into our boxes. He redefines the box. You know, he, we, we can't fit him into our comfortable box as teacher or new age guru or whatever other box we bring to Jesus. In Jesus's day, people were comfortable seeing him as a prophet. All these things that they said have to do with prophetic ministries. All these people that they talked about in connection with Jesus's ministry were prophets and they were comfortable thinking of Jesus as a prophet. Still today, Muslims are comfortable calling Jesus a prophet. But if it's true that he's the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God, then that means that he defines for us who God is. And we have to believe in what he says about himself. We have to believe that he is the final revelation of God, the fullest revelation of God. It means that Jesus is the one who defines for us God's way of salvation, not us. We have to receive what he teaches. It means to know God, we need to know the Son. To know the Father, we need to know the Son. It means the great news is to know the love of God, you can look to the Son of God. And you can see the love of God in Jesus Christ. And so when Peter makes this confession, again, one of the highest points of the gospel, one of the highest confessions about Jesus in the New Testament. Jesus doesn't say, whoa, whoa, wait a second. You've gone too far there, Peter. No, he receives that acclamation, that designation. And he says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood have not revealed this to you. In other words, this does not come from, from human resources, from human reason. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you but my Father who is in heaven. To really know the truth about Jesus, to arrive at this kind of deep conviction where Peter is, it takes the work of God in our hearts. We are to use our mind. We are to use our reasons. There are reasons to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Son of God. But then to know Him and to trust in Him as the Messiah and the Son of God, that is something that God does in us. As we come to see our need for him and he reveals the way of salvation that he's provided for us in Jesus Christ. It is a supernatural work. It is a work of God, the father. And so if we have come to that place where we can say along with Peter, Jesus, you're the Messiah. I believe that and that you're the son of God. If we've come to that place and we can thank God that he's brought us to that place because it's not been through our reason it's not because of our goodness of or our morality. It's because God has done this work in us and he's revealed his son to us. And if we're not in that place, we can ask God to do that kind of work in us. God, I want to understand Jesus better. I want to know the truth about Jesus. And I, I believe God answers the prayers of people who are honestly seeking the truth about Jesus. 
And I know many of us here have testimonies about how he's done that for us and in our life. And so we that 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 is the question that Jesus confronts us with. And as we're talking with people about the faith, as we have occasion to share with family and friends, we always need to go back to that question with them. Who do you say Jesus is? Now, I know there are questions about science and faith and how it fits together. Important questions that we need to deal with. I know there's the issue of evil and how a loving God can allow evil to occur. Important questions to deal with. But what about this central question? I think all the other questions begin to fall into place if you come to the conclusion Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That is the question. That is the ultimate question. So we have the question, and then we have the confession, and then we have this promise of a community that emerges. A community that's based on this truth of who Jesus is that Peter gives here. Jesus says to Peter, and I tell you, you are Peter, Petros in Greek. And on this rock, Petra, so the word play here, you are Peter, Petros, and on this Petra rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Interesting image. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And what that means is that the gates of hell will not be able to hold back the church. The church is in an offensive position against the forces of evil, against Satan and the forces of darkness. The church that proclaims the truth about Jesus Christ, that he is the Christ and he is the son of the living God, is in an offensive position. And Jesus is promising that church that the gates of hell ultimately are not going to be able to withstand the assault of the kingdom of God. That the kingdom of God will finally and fully reign. Isn't that good news? Because sometimes we think, we look around and we say, things are just going to pieces. Where is God in all this? Well, the church is still advancing. And the promise is that as we proclaim the truth of who Jesus Christ is, the gates of hell will not be able to withstand it. The kingdom of God will one day come fully and finally. And this is Jesus' promise. And this means as a church, we have to just continue to proclaim in a clear way who Jesus is. We can't be wishy-washy about the identity of Jesus. We always point away from ourselves to the truth about who he is. And the promise is victory, ultimately, through Jesus Christ, through the advance of the gospel. The gates of hell will not prevail against this church. And then Jesus says these words, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. He wanted to define for himself the role of the Messiah. There were all these expectations about who the Messiah was. But he's defining who the Messiah is. Well, I have to say this, and I don't want to go into great detail on this, but this is a controversial passage about Jesus saying to Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church. Our Roman Catholic friends and family, our, our neighbors will say that, aha, there you have it. Jesus is making Peter a bishop and he's placing him in authority over all the other apostles. And 
just to take a moment here on that, we, we really don't see that in the New Testament. We don't see the primacy of Peter in that way, as if he has jurisdictional authority over the other apostles. And you can just read the first chapters of Galatians, and you can see how Paul is arguing with Peter over some very important matters, and Paul does not give in to Peter. There's no deference there. I think the, Peter is the first among equals here in the apostolic band. But what we do see Peter doing is he's the first of the apostles to go out and preach about Jesus. The day of Pentecost. It's Peter out in front for the first part of the book of Acts. It's Peter who is out front proclaiming the kingdom of God. And I think that's part of what Jesus means when he gives the keys to Peter. It's about opening the kingdom of God through the proclamation of the gospel and the declaration of the forgiveness of sins to those who come to repentance and faith. John Stott says this about Jesus's words to Peter. It was a priority in opening the kingdom, not of permanent primacy. So Jesus says, I am going to build my church on you, Peter, meaning the preaching of Peter, which represents the apostolic message of who Jesus Christ is. The church is built on the Jesus Christ, who is the cornerstone, Paul says, and the apostles are the foundation. And then the rest of us are built on that. You see? And, and, and Jesus is building, God is building the church as, as a group of living stones. But Jesus is the cornerstone. The apostolic preaching of Jesus lays the foundation. And then God builds on that. And we're part of that building. We're part of the living stones of this temple. But I want to make a point here about, about the connection between what Jesus is saying to Peter and this sense of a community. Because we're part of this community that emerges from this confession, this is what one commentator, Peter Lightheart, said about that. Jesus' words to Peter remind us that the church is not built just on truth, but on people who confess this truth. Peter was to go out and confess this truth and live this truth and bear witness to this truth in their lives. And that's what we're called to do as a community. There's the truth of Jesus, and then he built his church through people who believe this truth, who've been arrested by this truth, who come to the same place that Peter has. I believe you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. I believe that when I know you, I'm, I know God. I believe that when I know your love, I know the love of God. When I hear your forgiveness, your word of forgiveness, I am receiving the forgiveness of God. I believe that through you I can have peace with God. The church is built on people who've been convinced that Jesus is this Messiah, the Son of God, and then live their life in a way that reflects that. And so that means, as Paul the Apostle says in our passage from Romans 12, that we don't conform to this world. We don't let the world squeeze us into its mold. This world and the things of this world are passing away, the Apostle John says. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of possession, all these things that animate the world are passing away. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. And so we're called not to be transformed by this world or conformed rather to this world, but transformed, changed by the renewing of our mind, the truth of who Jesus Christ is, the truth that we see revealed in Scripture. And this means, as Paul goes on to say, that in his church, we're part of the body of Christ and we are to use our gifts to build up the body of Christ. So there's a community that emerges from this confession, but it starts with the question. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say 
that I am. And it's interesting that just after Jesus asked this question and he elicits this confession from Peter, you know what happens after this? He begins to tell them that he's going to suffer. He, he begins to tell them, I'm going into Jerusalem and the religious authorities are going to arrest me and I'm going to die. And on the third day, I'm going to rise again. So death and suffering don't have the last word. But there's a cross waiting for me in Jerusalem, Jesus says. And then he tells them, if you're going to follow me, there's a cross waiting for you too. If anyone would come after me, he must take up his cross and be my disciple. So part of following Christ is to understand that we give ourselves up for him, that there is suffering involved. But I think the reason that Jesus talks about this in this context after he's elicited this great confession from Peter is that the truth about Jesus is to fortify them for the suffering that's to come. They don't get all of it at once. It's not until after Jesus' resurrection and Pentecost that they're 100% fortified. But it's the same in our lives. What fortifies us to face suffering that comes? What will steal us in the face of pressure from the world not to be clear about Jesus? It's to be clear in ourselves who he is. And to know that he's the Christ. And that he's the son of the living God. I, I've been following this, this blog, this video blog. I guess it's called a blog. Of, of somebody who I've, I, I have appreciated his ministry for many years. I've talked about him before. Nabil Qureshi, who's converted out of Islam to Christianity. And has become an apologist for the Christian faith. Last year, Nabil Qureshi, he's got an MD, he's got a medical degree, he's got graduate degrees in theology, he was pursuing a PhD in theology, he's part of a major ministry, apologetic ministry to the world. Last year, he was diagnosed with stage 4 stomach cancer. Survival rate, 4%. So last year, he came out and he announced what was going on with him. He's 30-something years old, got a wife and a daughter who's not quite two. And in the last video he released, just yesterday, I think it was, he'd just gotten out of the hospital once again, and he said, he looked into the camera, and he said, I want you to know if God doesn't heal me, I'm not, I'm not letting go of God. He has brought me to a place of deep trust in Jesus Christ, and I'm trusting him. I'm trusting him to heal me, but even if he doesn't, don't think Nabil is going to reject God, because I've known the love of God, and I trust him no matter what. And he's been saying that in these videos. 60,000, 70,000 people watch these videos. It's a great testimony to the strength of faith in Christ, of somebody who got the answer right to life's most important question. Who do you say that I am? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us in your son, Jesus Christ. And I pray that all of us in this place today would be able to say, along with the Apostle Peter, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And I thank you that we can do that because of your work in our life. Heavenly Father, that you have revealed by your spirit this truth of who Jesus is. I pray for anyone 
here today wrestling with your identity, Lord Jesus, that you will lead them to the truth. And I pray that we will be bold to be very clear about who you are outside of these walls. I pray that for myself. I pray that for this congregation, that we will be very clear in the culture, in our neighborhoods, with family and friends, when the time is right, when the moment is right, in the context of, of love, to point people to the truth of who you are, Messiah, Savior of the world. We love you and praise you. Amen.